this is Ironwood. Thank you so much for joining me, albeit a bit late, uh, for the Ronin, which is... Uh, now moving on to the deer, uh, three-part story, and this is the first part, albeit a little late. Um, I miscalculated that I might need maybe a week, another week uh, to get the few more actors, or I just need to plan better, one or the other. Um, but anyway, here, listen to The Deer, part one. The rice fields had been growing well and were soon to be harvested. Gin Otanashi dons cotton garments and grabs a kama, ready to work before the sun rises to a point in which long exposure might burn him. He then sets his straw hat on, taking several steps outside, bracing his hand above his brow to let his eyes adjust to the morning's light. Below Gin, the ground sinks slightly, and each step outside of his home and further towards the field. He smiles as his sandals get dirty and his feet tinge brown from the mud. The man enjoyed the simple things in life, and while he desired for breakfast, he joined the other workers when the cooks had finished preparing the food. His feet delve into the depths of the shallow water pools that irrigated the rice fields for at least a hundred acres. The cool waters which he waded into welcomed him, and he began to work hard, using a comma gifted to him by the farmers of the town. He started weeding the fields. It wasn't long until the others woke up, and started working as well. Everyone greets Gein with smiles and cheery voices before letting the air die down, eventually returning to the melancholy silence. He enjoyed the silence finding the sounds of work far superior to the talking often required when he wasn't doing field work. It reminded him of the days he spent watching the peasants in France at work while his father was away. In fact, the man found France so desirable that if he had another chance he would have run from his father's guards and stayed within the country even as a peasant. Lord dear, you should see this. His blissful field work is interrupted by one of his lieutenants at the edge of the rice fields. His shouting interrupts the work of the farmers, which causes Gein to become furious, rushing outside the field into the lieutenant. He grabs the soldier by his collar, gritting his teeth out of rage. You better have a good reason for disturbing my work. The soldier's clothes got wet stains from the dripping hands of Gein. Before giving an answer, his lieutenant was shaking, terrified of his leader's wrath. He takes a moment to swallow his fears before giving a statement to his leader. The man from the town over has an urgent message for you. The lieutenant comes to terms with this possible end at the hands of the leader. He prays, waiting for the comma to slit his throat, yet he's set back on the ground. I see. Thank you for that. Where would this man like to speak to me from? His voice was far calmer and his face was not void of his previous anger. He's in your tent, Lord dear. At this point, the lieutenant was unsure how to handle the overly complex nature of his leader. The now stone face of the deer conveyed none of the rage which dwelt within him. Good, good. Someone has prepared matcha tea for the two of us, correct? The deer begins walking towards his tent, not waiting for a response. However, he certainly did expect one. Of course! He calls out to the samurai as he enters his tent nearby. The deer puts on the face of his position, one that scared the residents of the town. Everyone appreciated the deer and his status as a fellow farmer, but when he assumed his position as a proud samurai, all who knew of his calm ruthlessness feared him. 
The deer walks into his tent, slipping into the meeting room. A table had been set up, and in his tent was a man covered in ash and soot. The man was trembling, terrified of the general more so than what he was going to relay to the man. Said man was swaddled in a blanket to warm himself in the rather cold temperatures of this region, brought about by its near-shore location. I'm sorry for your loss. Whatever it might be. The deer takes a seat, kneeling at his table and making the man a cup. Tea often stills one's nerves and warms the stomach. The man was incredibly surprised by the pouring techniques of the general, as well as his elegant mannerisms. He takes the tea surprised by the quality as well, but his constant surprise wore down on the deer. Our village was burned down by a samurai, under the leadership of the emperor. The assailant only said that we were a stopping point before he made his way to this place to undoubtedly kill you. His army was by far the largest I've ever seen, all seemingly starved from weeks of travel. The assailant you speak of is a samurai. Surely he must have a title beyond assailant of your town. If he is not named, then you'll put me at a significant disadvantage when I meet him in battle. The deer was now three cups deep into his tea drinking, and began thinking of an attack strategy with what little he knew of what he'd be defending against. His audience, however, was far too intimidated to ask for a second cup of what he'd come to believe was some of the best tea he had ever had. He told us that he went by the Locust, given that name due to the swarm that is his army. I'd only acquired that information after he had arrived in our home. As a gesture of respect to the new emperor, we fed them and offered them the best hospitality available. Yet a bad harvest sealed our fate when we were unable to feed the entirety of his soldiers. We thought we'd serve them satisfactorily, but he... He... He razed your homes and sodomized your women. I'm fully aware. The Locust is rather infamous for such behavior, and being one of the few to go against rules set by the dragon. He prioritizes his army's movement so much that he receives his orders by messenger instead of stopping to receive it from Tatsuo Hamamoto himself. The deer grimaces clutching his cup tightly. The Otanashi clan and the Hamamoto family were rather close with the two, even being acquainted when they were younger. Then, then you'll avenge our town and kill that bastard who took everything from us. The old man's voice was harsh and shaking, as if he wished of a chance to slaughter the locust himself. Oddly enough, the naivety of the old man amused him, and he gave quite a chuckle. Abruptly, he stands up, picking the stylized scythe in his hand, standing in his combat stance. What do you see, old man? The deer asks, letting the man analyze the weapon for as long as he needed. The scythe that he wields was not a direct translation of the French farming implement, but rather a hybrid of the tool and the halberd. It would have been an interesting weapon in terms of its unique construction, had the man known anything about French warfare, though he only knew Japan. As the old man was clueless about what it was, he only saw it as the infamous killing device of the samurai. I see a weapon. A tool meant to avenge those who are weak. A tool in which one is to fulfill a warrior's spirit, with its call for blood. The deer, finding the answer strange, holds up a cup, waiting for the man to answer his inquiry. An extension of peace and respect. 
A sign that the battle is over and won. The deer, to the man's surprise, burst out laughing, dropping a scythe next to him. His laughter goes so far that the deer sheds a few tears, wiping them away before gaining his composure. These acts and what you believe of these tools are not mutually exclusive to one another. The weapon I wield is not too dissimilar to the Kama serving as a similar purpose to it as well. On the other hand, the tool of the cup can be just as easily used as a war implement far easier than my weapon. Conventional poisons are but one example I can think of with the greatest of ease. So, I have no intention to fulfill my warrior's spirit or one to avenge your town. Quite simply put, I intend to house those who seek refuge within my current residence. Should, and only should the locusts come to attack me or this town, will I become an avenging spirit. The deer tries to make his fifth cup of tea before angrily realizing they were out of hot water. His companion, for lack of better feeling, was in complete and utter shock at the deer's fusion of complete calm and spiteful wrath. You're... you are terrible. The old man stands straight up angrily. He looks towards a blade that the deer had left on the table, unsure though. The man couldn't understand whether it was a trap, and to kill the samurai is a twisted form of revenge for his harshness. Yet from the spirit of the man, he knew that if he picked up that blade, he'd be the one who ended end up dead. Despite that, I'd like to offer you lodging. Tell my men that you need somewhere to graze, and they shall accommodate you. I must prepare for the apparently imminent arrival of the locust. Being prodded away, the old man leaves almost immediately, being swept away with a few others who had arrived not long after him, and were eavesdropping on the two's conversation. The deer, being left alone and now with his stomach filled with tea, takes hold of his scythe heading outside. Stepping outside of his tent, the man begins to work, training his swings, the weapon cutting through the air and practicing every form he'd made for the tool. Killing the locust, he knew, was no small endeavor as he had at times been ordered to work alongside the Hamamoto's clan's hired samurai. If Tatsuo Hamamoto hired the locust, it was sure to be some endeavor to execute him. His lungs filled with cold air and his heartbeat rapidly grows in order to warm itself up to a tenable point. Surely, snow had begun falling up north and had situated to a somewhat greater extent piled up. That type of weather made fighting an all-out war with Tatsuo Hamamoto almost unfeasible in his eyes. It wasn't long before night came upon him, after practicing for an extended period of time. He was later informed by the same lieutenant who had brought him to the old man that a sum of thirty-six men had arrived from the same raised village. All begged for the deer to avenge their time. All were rebuffed by the man. When dawn broke, there was an uproar, brought about by an entire host of shouts and such. They had started before the sun had risen, offsetting the already offset routine of the deer. He hated to awaken and upset, yet his eyes shot open with the sole intent of killing the disruptor. The shouting pounded in his ears and grew more incessant with each passing moment as he prepared. He left his tent fully roped, head to toe in his armor, with his scythe not far from him. The helmet the deer donned was created by a blacksmith close to the Otanashi family. Beautifully, to his request, the helmet sported two large and elegant antlers, crafted of the purest form of silver that the family could afford. It was the only sign of wealth that the eldest Otanashi had ever kept with him since he had made his journey as a samurai. 
The dear soldiers soon woke up after hearing the strange conglomeration of shouts coming from beyond the town's gates. Falling behind their leader, they began to make their way towards the noises, growing only more agitated as they approached it. Each had a tool in his hands, as was the teaching of their leader had taught them. As expected, it was the Locust Army, all making a ruckus to waken the townsfolk. A vile and vicious group, so numerous that most of the soldiers were barely equipped beyond a weapon. Most of those who wore armor had ill-fitting equipment of the wrong type for their weapons and such. In front of them stood the Locust, a man of what appeared to be malnourishment, as his arm was bound too tightly and almost revealed his stomach. He was no soldier, but a man devoid of any sense of self-preservation or fear. This was just the way he arrived in every town, however, expecting it to be his very last. You've ruined my routine. I surmise that you've come to terms with your death. He holds his scythe next to him, gritting his teeth to still his anger. Yet despite his very evident aggression, the locust smiles so fat that his lips seem to stretch behind his head. You look like a Shinigami, though your Naginata is uncharacteristically bent. The rest of the Locust army laughs along with him, finding their general's humor quite humorous. As the army laughs, the deer stills his wrath, knowing how he would properly proceed with such a confrontation. You've entered my territory. I would like to converse with you about our situation, lest we find ourselves in an immediate conflict even before midday. A discussion over a meal shall be our meeting. Does that appeal to your sensibilities? His overly polite nature was to hide the surplus of a lament towards the samurai. Offering proposals was one of his ways of resolving issues without direct conflict, but often the individuals he spoke with had already made up their mind of what to do. He'd find himself unpleasantly surprised by the locust. Would there perhaps be rice? I'm famished. His stomach growls loudly and his army laughs in response. It was a welcomed humor, however, as the two men were peaceably able to sit down within the deer's tent. Two fresh bowls of rice were placed between the two, as well as cups of water. By the time that the deer had finished what he believed to be enough for his stomach, the locust had already eaten three times as much, and was even beginning his fourth bowl. All around the table were grains of rice which he'd left dotted around his mouth, and several more covering the floor. The deer needed to speak calmly before he struck the locust down after his disrespectful behavior. To put it simply without a fight, I'd like for you to leave this town. Me and my soldiers have worked hard to rejuvenate their agricultural work as part of the Otanashi family's dealings. The two of us have no quarrel with one another, seen as you are only acting on behalf of your lord. The deer thought that his calm's remarks would be enough to send the locust away, especially after his kindness, but in response, the general laughs. He flashes his blackened teeth, leaning on the table disrespectfully. My orders were to do no such thing. In fact, my orders were to accompany another general known as the Boar to kill a Tanegashima protege, the Hare. Both of us were to kill her in... Uh... The northernmost part of the Eshu province. I chose a different route. Ollie the man takes off from his belt a gourd filled with lukewarm sake. Kindly, the locust pours the deer a drink in his empty water cup. Choose differently. 
The deer smells his sake before taking a few shallow sips of what he was then known as terribly watered-down drink. Well, working alongside the boar is an unbearable endeavor. Our soldiers do not get along even in the slightest, so I left. Carry out a mission equal in the heart of our lord. I chose the only thing I'd ever seen the dragon speak so enthusiastically of. The Otanashia household. He smiles, knowing full well that he was addressing the eldest son of the household. Any particular reason? The deer asks cautiously, pushing away his drink. How long would you say you've been on this mission? I'd say four months. One for the travel from Tanba, and three spent here. The man across the table smiles with a sly look. This look didn't sit well with the deer as it clearly spelled something wrong. The dragon thought that the power of the Otanashi clan held would create a threat to his rule. So two months ago, which would have been around your first month in this town, the dragon had every Otanashi member he could find killed. At first he cried for days, but his heart hardened. As I assume, he finally made your younger brother commit seppuku. He was disappointed when he couldn't find you, Gin Otanashi, but you weren't ruling. Now I find you through very little information, but I've come to kill you. I can also tell that you have no intention of letting me leave here alive. The deer grits his teeth and begins grinding them together. The locust had hit the nail on the head. No linguistics were going to persuade him. He'd die for what he did to his family. Or rather, what his emperor did. And what the deer believed was rightly deserved. Should you die, will your army dissipate? He asked as one final precaution before dueling the man. It was the last question the deer could muster without killing the locust here and then in his tent. They have no more allegiance to me than a hungry crow has to a corpse. So yes, they will leave should I die, though. I cannot anticipate where they will go after I die. He stands up drawing his weapon of choice, a broken katana. The two head outside of the tent to gain the audience of the locust warband. Still, they cheered and called out at the sight of their glorious leader. In the deer's warband, however, they were silent, merely taking in the sight of their leader, who was so visibly furious that he was practically frothing at the mouth like a wild dog. The two parties only wished for the successes of their prospective leader, who was to bring about the other's end swiftly. There was no call to start, but only an understanding between the two warriors. This beginning was started by a hurried dashing of the locust, swinging his broken blade like it was fully intact. His movements were indicative of his own carelessness and lack of self-preservation. He spouted some nonsense behind that damnable mask he wore. They were vile words, harshities about what he thought about the deer. It all fell on deaf ears. The deer focused solely on the conflict at hand and to bring about the death of his enemy. At the moment, however, he only took a defensive measures to avoid being attacked directly. The locust katana, after all, was too short to become any real threat, 
He'd surely come here to die. At least, that's how the deer saw it. Under his mask, the deer smiled happily to provide the death he so rightfully deserved. His first offensive move was to push back the locust with a pole of his scythe. The hectic samurai stumbles back as a result, barely keeping his balance. The push was then followed up by the deer setting himself back into his initial stance. He was going to avenge his family for what the dragon had done to them. He moved to make a small thrust with the spear end of the scythe. The locust, while blocking the spear tip, could not avoid the curved back end of the blade which cut the back of his hand. As the deer redrew the scythe from the locust flesh, he retreats back. He begins to analyze the condition of his opponent. Locust hands began to shake as they dripped blood onto the ground below. It tinged the brown grass a crimson red and the blathering locust fell silent from his slanders. He grimaces looking at the wound before clutching the katana harder. The deer expected some rationality, but instead he turned to his followers. This would not have happened if one of you did not break my katana. Let this be a lesson to you all about messing with my things. He then turns back to the deer, putting his head down and charging forward. No longer was the deer shaking. He'd come to an absolute certainty he'd found his own victory. At least in his mind. The locust had managed to decipher some sort of attack strategy while he was shouting at his troops. It was not that complicated in its goals, though. If it hadn't worked within the initial extent, he would have been dead. He was so close to the deer that, had they not been wearing masks, they would have felt each other's breaths. As the blade of the locust swings and the deer narrowly avoids the attacks, he becomes fearful. He'd never dealt with an enemy this close before, but... No one had dared put themselves in the path of his blade. It was a noble effort, but the broken katana was far too dull to make a dent in the superior armor. Still, the close range of the locust made it impossible to kill him, as the warrior followed too close to him. Every time he tried to pull the blade back, the locust would move forward. The deer opted to make a bold move by throwing his weapon away. At this point, the locust was far too close for the scythe to be effective. Besides, killing a despicable vermin with his fist would have satisfied him far more than with his blade, so he took his first swing to the surprise of the locust. Strike after strike, the deer continued to land blows onto the locust. His loose and lacking armor made this assault almost too easy. After one decisive strike, he'd even lost his blade. It was now just a matter of how much the deer desired to beat his attacker. Some of the locust men leered in response, but others left knowing the ending of the battle. The deer got up from his position, breathing heavily and walking over to his scythe. Tired from assaulting the defeated samurai, he drags his scythe along the ground, undoubtedly dulling the blade ever so slightly. He stands above the barely breathing locust as his ribs had been shattered. His eyes slowly look up at the deer, who stands above him holding his scythe just above his neck. The two stare down at one another, with a locust smiling, knowing that he was looking at his executioner. Your brother would have been so proud. The locust says sarcastically with a bloodied smile, shining through his rotten teeth and now broken mask. His head rolled on the ground as the blade had severed it from his body. He grabbed the helmet and began to walk over to the rice fields. He throwed the head into the water as a sign of disrespect to the kin killer. He was soon interrupted by the sounds of horses riding into the town. 
He turns, holding the head, glaring and anticipating that perhaps the one arriving was the boar he had mentioned. He holds a scythe low and glares forward, ready to strike. Yet on the horse was a slender girl, donning a mask with ears of a rabbit. Are you the deer? She calls out from atop her steed. So if it wasn't uh, obvious, and that may be on my writing part or some other factor, I don't know. Uh, this part one takes place in part three or just before part three of the hair. Now, time jumping is going to be something I play around with a little bit. Uh, I will probably note it every time after something like that happens. Um, but anyway, thank you so much for listening. And Ironwood out. Thank you for listening to The Ronin.